are you this morning? Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, without you we could never know Jesus. Open our hearts and bring your influence to bear, please, upon me. Help me to think clearly. Help me to share what you'd like me to share the way you'd like it shared. Help each of us to receive whatever you want us to receive, to eat the meat, as it were, and spit out the bones. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Those of you who know me know that I, I know I don't have the final word about anything. You don't have to agree with my thoughts. In fact, I invite you to wrestle with them, pray about them, search the scriptures like the Berean Jews, see, see if they're so. And then let's engage in conversation because I would appreciate that. I am the beneficiary of a lot of input over the years and I, I write books and when people read my books and they don't agree with what I say, I say, you know, sometimes I don't agree with what I say. I've changed my, changed my positions a few times and I, and I reserve the right to continue to do that. So there you have it. So with Paul, I say, I, I come to you with fear and trembling, and that's true. It's true. I want to share some pastoral thoughts with you. During this season, however long this season will be, I don't know how long I'll be in this role, but I know that the stakes are really high. And, and I share these thoughts with you as one who is keenly aware of the fact that I don't have an infallible perspective. But what I share does come from a sense of conviction. And I want to read to you some thoughts I put together. And then eventually, a little, a little later, I want to share with you a word that I think God gave me for the church. Some of you, and this includes those of you who are online, and thank you for joining us, some of you are waiting to see what's going to happen in regard to the conflict we're experiencing before you decide whether to stay or leave. Please consider that this thinking ought not to be the primary concern in making such a decision. The primary matter is, am I called here? Has God released me to leave? I have believed over 45 years of pastoral ministry that there's only one legitimate reason for me to go to a church or leave a church. I've pastored several different churches. And one of the reasons for not leaving is a better offer. More money, more prestige, bigger congregation. Fewer financial headaches. The only legitimate reason I've been able to find to leave a congregation is, has God called me? The only legitimate reason I can see for joining a congregation is, has God called me there to serve? To serve. 
I think that's a principle that applies to all of us and not just pastors. I'd be happy to visit with you sometime privately about how you can discern that. When do I know I'm, I'm called to leave? When do I knew, know I'm called to join another congregation? Here's some things to consider. Consider saying, if I'm called here, then come hell or high water, I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna serve by praying. I'm gonna serve by giving, because your giving is to God. If you withhold your giving, please only do so if God himself leads you to withhold your giving. But remember, all giving needs to be understood as giving unto God. Does that make sense? Not only praying and giving, but how about forgiving? Do you know that you don't need to like everybody? Really, you don't. I think actually loving people the way God wants us to love people and calls us to love people, that that's possible to do without actually liking people. In order for me to like somebody, I've got to trust them. And there's some people I just don't trust. I've experienced some people as untrustworthy and I don't like them. But I'm committed to loving them. I'm committed to practicing love to them. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail. Forgiveness is not predicated on trusting someone. Forgiveness is based on the idea that I am the recipient of God's amazing forgiveness. God forgave the inexcusable in me. And I need to forgive the inexcusable in others. Something C.S. Lewis noted, and he was so right. I need to learn to forgive and in order to forgive, I need to bring my wounded heart to Jesus and to, and to just let him know that what I experienced was hurtful and, and that it's going to take more than me muscling through to forgive someone. We also need to ask, how can I be a part of the solution and not part of the problem? And the answer is, in part, by not gossiping, by repenting, and by first looking at the log in my own eye. In fact, I recommend, if you're a follower of Jesus, whatever your age, a beautiful thing to pray consistently, maybe even every day, is, Lord Jesus, help me to see the log in my own eye before I look at a speck in anybody else's eye. Boy, that's a big help to people who are married to each other. It's a big help for parents who think about sometimes the offenses of their kids. It's just a big help in general. Consider this too. If you're able-bodied and you're local and you're watching online, please show up. Your Life Church family needs your physical presence. Consider this too. Are you waiting to see if we become fully complementarian or egalitarian? Don't know what those words mean? I'll do my best to explain them to you sometime. Are you waiting to see? Are we going to return to our full blown charismatic roots or something more tasteful and more seeker friendly? 
Is your staying predicated on some outcome? Do you take your cues from outcomes? You may find yourself wondering, Kevin, do you have an agenda? Of course I do. It's to lead you into discerning God's will, not my will. God's will for Life Church in this season. Here's an observation. It's only an observation, a very fallible one. A long time ago at Life Church, consideration was given to the question what must Life Church do to put more people in the seats? When that question is most important, then strategies are sought that will accomplish that end. But that must never be the primary question. The primary question for Life Church in any congregation is what has God called us to be in this season? Why? Because what kind of church we are should never be determined by, number one, what will attract the most people, or two, what kind of church do I want? The question is, what kind of church does God want? And then we must lev leverage everything toward that. And we can discern that together. That decision does not fall on the shoulders of one person. It falls on the shoulders of the entire congregation. So I invite you to take a risk along with me. The risk being, stay here in this imperfect and polarized congregation. Do not run. Do not complain. Pray. Fast. Serve. Love. Repent. Do you know? If you and I want to experience what the Bible calls times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, the book of Acts tells us it only comes one way. It says repent and you will experience times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Work on your stuff, your own stuff, get healing. Get deliverance. Christians need deliverance. Did you know that? While a Christian can't be fully possessed, Christians can be demonized. And the Greek word in the New Testament that is translated possessed is really inaccurately translated. It just means to be demonized. There are people who are fully possessed by demons and then there are people who are troubled by demons. Jesus taught us to pray that we'd be delivered from evil and the evil one. Paul warned us about demonic footholds. He warned Christians about demonic footholds. He, he warned Christians about demonic strongholds. If demonic footholds and strongholds are a danger to us, sounds to me like we might need deliverance. From time to time, anyway. Ask God, what can I do to become a healthier version of myself and to help make this place become healthier. You can make this place healthier if you declare war on these things. I'm asking you to declare war on some things. 
take war on taking offense. I mean, declare war on taking offense. That is, allowing yourself to become resentful over what's happened. Declare war on gossip. If people gossip to you, they will gossip about you. If you listen to gossip, you are complicit. Gossip is one of the sins that gets an entire pass in the church. We can't afford the high price of gossip. We can't afford slander. Declare war on triangulating. That just simply means we're tempted to talk to someone other than the person we're having a conflict with about the conflict. The Bible teaches us that if someone has sinned against us, we need to go to them. That's not an option. We either obey or we don't. Declare war on being certain about secondary doctrinal issues. When I hear some followers of Jesus discuss any number of issues, whether it's complementarianism or egalitarianism, in other words, those having to do with women's roles in the church, or whether they're talking about end times or any number of other beliefs, I often hear people talk about them as if their understanding of those things is infallible. The last time I checked, the Bible says we know only in part and we look through a glass darkly. The last time I checked, I read this in the Bible. Let the person who thinks he knows realize he doesn't yet know as he ought to know. Question your own infallibility. We have an infallible word, but we are not infallible. And so, declare war on being certain about your position on secondary issues. It would be far better to say, here's how I understand this as of today. And I hope I'm open-minded and able to be informed more fully about these things as I continue my relationship with Jesus. Declare war on jumping to conclusions about who's right and who's wrong. That's the only exercise some people get. Practice love. Did you know love is actually a practice? When the Bible talks about love, it doesn't talk about what you feel, it talks about how you live. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is, not love feels. Love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't hold a record of wrongs. Love doesn't insist on its own way. In Luke 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, love your enemies, and then he tells you how. He says, pray for them. Do good to them. Bless them. Those are things you do that aren't based on how you feel. Practice love. Come and talk to me. I want to hear your heart and I want to help you heal. And here's my commitment to you. I'm going to be gentle with broken people and I'm going to be firm with defiant people. I serve at the pleasures of the elders, the staff in this congregation, and I plan to be here for as long as it takes to accomplish whatever is necessary in this season 
until God says, it's time to say adios. I love this church. I'll do what I can, don't expect perfection, because I will disappoint you. I won't expect it from you either. Here's my pastoral vision for Life Church. I want to help Life Church make decisions that please God. I'm going to work hard to protect the unity of this body, not uniformity. We don't all have to think alike. We don't all have to have the same beliefs with regard to those secondary issues. We can be a church where we have liberty in non-essential issues. The church for 2,000 plus years has embraced the model that we can have unity in essentials. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I want to help Life Church introduce new people to Jesus. You are the church. We don't even need a person with a gift of evangelism, although that's a welcome gift. But God will show you and I how to introduce people to Jesus and help them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. I also want to help Christ followers experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues. I want people to learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Life Church needs to be a church that does not tolerate the presence and the influence of the Spirit, but celebrates it. I want to help Life Church battle dark forces in order to more fully establish God's kingdom here. Our enemies are not of the human variety. Our battle is not against people. Paul said that. He said it in Ephesians 6, 12. We, we battle spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. And if we're being distracted by an, an annoyance with a person, then we're failing to see who the real enemy is. And here's my final words to you this morning. I hope our focus going forward has to do with these things. The focus is what Jesus said being a follower of him is really all about. He made it so uncomplicated. Luke 6:40. A disciple fully trained is like his master. That's your job. What am I to do with my life? What is God's will for my life? Should I be a missionary? Should I should I teach? Should I practice law? Should I work with my hands in a trade? Lots of great questions, important questions. And each of us can find ourselves in different places vocationally. But here's what all of us can, can accept as our primary responsibility. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. That's job one. You see, Think about this, married couples. If your priority as a husband is to grow in Christ-likeness, and, and, and wife, if your primary focus is being more like Jesus, do you know that every conflict you have will be resolvable? 
because each of you will adopt the motto, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. Imagine what would happen in marriages between parents and kids if every person in the family embodied that value. Every conflict would be resolvable because you know what? There's no need for power struggles. There's just no need for power struggles. I've been a lead pastor a lot of the years I pastored and it was a liberating thing for me to say, I don't have to have my way. I don't have to have my way. It was nice for me to come to that realization in marriage. I'm pretty strong-willed, but I guarantee you my wife was pretty strong-willed too. And as sweet and, and as endearing as her presence was, let me tell you, she could fight like a cat. Claws out, fangs digging in. Some of you didn't get to see her that way, but I did. She was fierce. And sometimes my prayer was, help us, Jesus. <laughs> but if your motto is, not my will, but thine be done, and her motto was actually that too. Not my will, but thine be done. Somehow, somehow we got through some really tough stuff. Some ugly stuff. What's the focus? Becoming more like Jesus. Paul says it differently in Galatians. He's very pastoral in Galatians. You can almost hear him cry. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. How I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. That's what Paul wanted. Paul writes it a little differently in Romans. Right after that famous verse when he says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, he adds this, those whom he foreknew, to those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the, that, that's the idea. That's the passion. The passion of God's heart is that we will be conformed to the image of his son. You know, and the image of Jesus is something that isn't as, as, as simple as always being sweet and nice. Sometimes Jesus turned tables over. He made that whip. I suppose some people felt the sting of it. He said to self-righteous people, you brood of vipers. You cleanse the, the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you're full of lawlessness and hypocrisy. He said, you're like, you're like whitewashed tombs, but you're full of decay. So being conformed to the image of Christ might mean that you get a new degree of courage to address difficult issues. And it might mean that you just humble yourself and ask for forgiveness from someone. Well, how do I become more like Jesus? Philippians tells us, having yourselves the very attitude that was in Jesus, 
who though being in the very nature of God, he didn't regard equality with God, something to be grasped, exploited, or feverishly clung to. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And therefore also God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other. So that at the name of the Lord Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have that attitude. Serve. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He didn't, he didn't come to say, what's in it for me? He came to say, what can I do for you? And then one final text, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Paul says, now the Lord is the Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are transformed into Christ's likeness by beholding him, by taking time to be with him in solitude and in community. And if you don't know how to do that, I'm one of many people here who could help you to find the way to know how to just simply be with God in solitude and in community so that you can behold him because as you behold him, you will become like him. Well, I misspoke. There is one other text I do want to share with you. You know, the book of Isaiah, a very powerful book. Before I close, I want to in some way evangelize the people who don't know Jesus and those who do. Isaiah 61, the last part of verse 1, it says that the Lord came, it's talking to us about Jesus, he came to liberate both captives and prisoners. Now this thought isn't original with me but I share it with you because I think it's a, a profound insight. Captives are people who aren't free due to something that happened to them, something they're not responsible for. Jo Joseph was a captive to Potiphar, first to his brothers, then he was sold to some traders, then he was sold to Potiphar. He was taken captive. But a prisoner is usually someone who's made his own mess. And whether you are a captive today or you are a prisoner, in other words, you, your troubles are troubles you brought on yourself, God doesn't care. He wants to liberate you. Isn't that great news? So I want to offer hope to you, whoever you are, if you're listening online or you're here today and you've never reached out to Jesus Christ to be liberated from captivity or from your prison, your trouble of your own making, just simply say, Jesus, save me, help me. If you're a Christian who's been a follower for many years and you need a breakthrough, today is a day, a good day to say, Jesus, save me. I need deliverance.